Welcome to Choice Classic Radio, where we bring to you the greatest old-time radio shows. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube, and thank you for donating at choiceclassicradio.com. This is Cy Harris with an important announcement about Sherlock Holmes. Commencing Monday, January 3rd, and each Monday thereafter, the adventures of Sherlock Holmes will be heard at a new time over most of these mutual stations. Consult your local papers or mutual station for the time of the broadcast. From New York City, the makers of Clipper Craft Clothes for Men and more than 1,200 leading retail stores from coast to coast present Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's immortal character, the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes, starring John Stanley. This week's story, The Adventure of the Blue Carbuncle. Just look at that precious stone, Watson. Yes, Holmes. Incredibly beautiful. So pure, so brilliant. Quite. But behind the beauty, there is evil, Watson. This carbuncle was found in southern China, and... Why do they call this stone a carbuncle, Holmes? Isn't a carbuncle ruby red? Indeed it is. But this is blue, and the rarity of it has given it a sinister history. For the sake of it, there have been several robberies, an acid throwing, a suicide, and two murders. If you're resolved to wage a private war on high prices, here's a great way to begin. Go to the friendly independent store in your community that sells Clippercraft clothes. Select the luxurious Clippercraft suit that satisfies your taste. But note that it costs only 40 or $45. It's a terrific value. It has to be. Your Clippercraft dealer is one of the more than 1,200 independent stores from coast to coast who concentrate their huge purchasing power for the greatest possible savings in production and distribution so that even a rich-looking pure worsted suit with the famous Clippercraft label costs only $45. Yes, the store in your community that sells Clippercraft clothes is your personal purchasing agent, your private value scout. They pick Clippercraft especially to keep you sold. And they're 100% right. You'll find out for yourself when you compare Clippercraft with clothes selling for many dollars more. Well, Dr. Watson, since we're all in the holiday mood, I, I'd guess that you've deliberately selected the adventure of the Blue Carbuncle for this Christmas season. Indeed, I have, Mr. Harris. The adventure was both a Christmas tale and a most intriguing crime. It was Christmas morning. It was a glorious London Christmas. We'd had a thick blanket of snow on the streets, and it glistened in the flickering gaslight. Now and then a sleigh would dash by, the horses prancing along as though they shared the festive mood. Shaking their heads, it seemed, <laughs> deliberately to jingle the bells on the harness. Stout gentlemen, their cheeks as red as could be, a broad grin on their faces, held the reins tightly in their mittens, carefully piloting their cargoes of gaily wrapped packages. At the corner of Good Street on Tottenham Court Road, a tall man with a pointed beard, rather impoverished looking, was trudging along. He carried a white goose slung over his shoulder. As he reached the corner, a group of young rowdies began to tease him. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah. Where are you going, Governor? I just bet a few pennies for Christmas. Hey, Governor. I'd gladly give you a few coins, but I, I really can't spare them. How about that goose you're carrying, eh? Blimey, his majesty must have plenty of spare things to bought a goose like that. No, 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 please. This goose is all I can bring home to my family for Christmas. Hey, but you can knock his head off with a snowball. Uh, no, 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 Even no, though please. he is so tall. Even though he's always a church steeple. Come on, Governor, I'll bought a few things. No, pennies. let go of my coat. Hey, watch his hat. Now, here goes my snowball. Yeah. Oh, my hat. Oh, good boy, you've knocked it off. Will you drag him up in If you won't behave, I'll take this walking stick of mine and have it boys, he's swinging and swinging now. Oh, he missed. I'll catch you in the window. I will. I will. I Hey, you hey, hey, oh, hey, 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 but thank you for assisting me, sir. A Merry Christmas to you, sir. Oh, wait, you left your hat there on the snow and you dropped your goose. Come back here. Come back. And so, my dear Watson, Peterson was left the victor in the Battle of Tottenham Court Road. With the stranger's battered hat and his Christmas goose. What did he do with the spoils, Holmes? He brought them here to Baker Street, knowing that even the smallest problems are of interest to me. Why didn't he return the hat and the bird to the chap who owned them? My dear fellow, there lies the problem. Peterson does not know the identity of the tall, thin gentleman who vanished into the dark. There wasn't a single clue to the gentleman's identity? By now, Watson, you must have realized that there is never a lack of clues. There's only a lack of the intelligence necessary to find them. Well, the rightful owner of the bird must be found immediately, Holmes. The poor devil's lost his Christmas dinner. Christmas, poppycock. What clues did you find? A small card was tied to the bird's left leg. The card read for Mrs. Henry Baker. Upon the lining of the hat which I have here in my hand, you'll notice the initials HB. But as there are some thousands of bakers, it's not easy to restore lost property to any one of them. And where is the Christmas goose? By now, I should say it's fulfilling the ultimate destiny of every plump goose. We were afraid lest it spoil... Therefore, it's roasting at this moment in front of Peterson's fire. Is there any hope at all of finding this Henry Baker returning his hat? There's a great deal of hope of finding him. Oh, I'm sorry to burst in about what you like this, Mr. Holmes, but, but the, the goose, the Christmas goose, sir. I trust the news of the goose justifies the melodrama of your entrance, Peterson. Oh, Mr. Holmes, Mr. Holmes, that I... That the goose has it returned to life and flapped off through your kitchen window? Look, Mr. Holmes, my wife found this in its crop. Is that a diamond? Well, yes, Dr. Watson, it must be. It cuts into glass as though it were putty. When you opened the goose, you found this precious stone inside of it? This is more than a precious stone, Watson. This is the precious stone. This is the Countess of Morcar's blue carbuncle. Is it really her? Precisely. I ought to know its size and shape, seeing that I've read the advertisement about it in the Times every day. This blue carbuncle is unique. The reward of a thousand pounds for its return is certainly not a twentieth part of its market price. Reward? Of a thousand pounds? Yes. Uh, you mind if I sit down? Well, didn't I read in the newspaper that it was lost at the Hotel Cosmopolitan home? You did, Watson. On December the 22nd, John Horner, a plumber, was accused of having stolen it from the Countess's apartment. The evidence against him was very strong. A thousand pounds. James Ryder, the head attendant at the hotel, accused Horner. He said he'd shown Horner to the Countess's dressing room so that Horner might repair a grate that was loose. Yes, yes, I remember that now. Ryder left Horner alone in the room. When Ryder came back, Horner was gone. The bureau had been forced open, and the box where the jewel was kept lay empty. Yes, as I see. There was a maid involved, too, a Catherine Cusack. She rushed into the room when she heard Ryder shouting about the robbery and found the situation exactly as he described it in court. Yes, Holmes, but if this Horner stole the jewel, how did it get into the bird? 
And uh, what has Henry Baker to do with all this? Mr. Baker, Watson, should provide a satisfactory explanation to that mystery. We shall determine his innocence or guilt by a simple test. The moment we produce him. How shall we do that, Oh, well, I, I had nothing to do with the robbery, you understand? I uh, just one found the moment, Peterson. We shall place an advertisement in the evening papers, Watson. That would be the simplest method. Uh, would you give me a pencil and that slip of paper? Oh, uh, yes, of course, sir. There you are. Found at the corner of Goods Street, a goose and a black felt hat. Mr. Henry Baker can have the same by applying at 6.30 this evening at 221B Baker Street. Will he see it in the papers? Oh, undoubtedly, Watson. He's a poor man. The loss is a heavy one. Peterson, would you have this put in the evening papers? Oh, very well, Mr. Holmes. And, and, and the stone? I shall return the stone to the countess immediately. And, oh, Peterson, would you buy a goose on your way back and leave it with me? We must have one to give to this gentleman in place of the one which your family is uh, now devouring. Well, certainly, Mr. Holmes. Well, good afternoon, gentlemen. <laughs> Thousand pounds reward. Oh, Great Lord of mercy, what a wonderful Christmas this is. I'll be a thousand pounds richer. <laughs> God rest ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Some love. <laughs> hey. Now, just look at this precious stone, Watson. Oh, oh yes, sir. Incredibly beautiful. So pure. So brilliant. Quite. But behind the beauty, there's evil, Watson. This carbuncle was found in the banks of the Amoy River in southern China. Why do they call this stone a carbuncle, Holmes? Isn't a carbuncle ruby red? Indeed it is, but this is a blue carbuncle, and the rarity of it has given it a sinister history. There have been several robberies, an acid throwing, a suicide, and two murders, just for the sake of this 40-grain weight of crystallized charcoal. You see, Watson, in a great jewel such as this, every facet may stand for a bloody deed. If you were shopping for the finest silver, you would naturally look for the sterling mark. Similarly, you want assurance of quality and value when you shop for clothes. When you buy Clippercraft, you get double assurance. The name of the store plus the Clippercraft label. Now that's your proof that you're getting one of America's greatest values. You see, the Clippercraft label is the symbol of a remarkable plan that concentrates the immense purchasing power of more than 1,200 fine independent stores from coast to coast. The savings on production and distribution go straight into your pocket. Now, that's why your truly expensive-looking Clippercraft top coat or overcoat is only forty to forty-seven fifty, and that's why millions of men cheer the incredibly modest prices of Clippercraft's new zipper lining top coats. That's why men who know insist on Clippercraft clothes bearing the Clippercraft label. So be sure to visit the Clippercraft store in your city. And remember, that's one of the more than 1,200 leading retail stores across the nation where courtesy and friendly service are always yours. The store that is proud to add its fine name to that of Clipper Craft Clothes in the label of your suit, top coat, and overcoat. And remember also, not every pattern is always available in your size. But keep trying. It will pay you to wait for Clipper Craft Clothes bearing the Clipper Craft label. <laughs> Dr. Watson, shall we return to the story of the criminal who stole the blue carbuncle? Most certainly, Mr. Harris. I returned to Holmes's room later that evening 
to find Holmes with Mr. Henry Baker, the gentleman who'd lost his hat and his Christmas goose, who had appeared in response to the advertisement. About your bird, Mr. Baker, we were compelled to eat it. You've eaten my bird? Yes, it would have been of no use to anyone had we not done so. I presume this other goose upon the sideboard will answer your purpose equally well? Yes, I, I, I believe it will. We still have the feathers, the legs, the crop, and so on of your original bird. If you wish to have them, would they be of use to you, Mr. Baker? Uh, no, uh, none whatsoever. You seem hesitant, sir, doubtful. I, I just moved by your kindness, gentlemen. You might well have kept the bird and done nothing, but in the tradition of the Christmas spirit, you have provided me with a joyful surprise. <laughs> Mr. Baker, would you tell me where you got the original bird? I'm... Somewhat of a foul fancier, and I seldom seen a better-grown goose. Certainly, Mr. Holmes. Uh, there are a few of us who frequent the Alpha Inn. Near the museum? Uh, yes. Uh, this year, our host, uh, Windigate by name, instituted a goose club, by which, on consideration of a few pennies every week, we were each to receive a bird at Christmas. My pennies were paid, and well, the rest is familiar to you. Uh, now, uh, if you'll pardon me, uh, my hat... Oh, yes. Here it is. Thank you. I must dash home to share this wonderful bird with my family. You have the humble gratitude, gentlemen, of a poor soul whose Christmas you have brightened. A small enough gift, sir, for the greatness of the day. Merry Christmas, Mr. Baker. And a glorious holiday to you, Dr. Watson. Mr. Holmes. Good evening, Mr. Baker. He's quite innocent, eh, Holmes? Quite. Really, Holmes, you have not extended greetings to one person, you know. That the Christmas spirit cannot reach the lofty, ice-bound heights where you keep yourself? At the moment, Watson, a Mr. Horner stands at the assizes charged with the robbery of the Countess of Morcar's blue carbuncle. Mr. Horner may serve a long sentence in prison undeservedly, and the actual culprit will still be at large. Who placed the priceless stone in the crop of the bird? We must answer that damning question, Watson. We've no time for sentimental rubbish. Quickly, to the Alpha Inn. <laughs> There's the landlord of this inn at the bar, Holmes. A red-faced chap in the white apron. Name's Windigate. Mr. Windigate. Well, what did it be? Uh, two glasses of beer, please. Two glasses of beer, it is. Your beer should be excellent, if it's as good as your geese. My geese? Yes. I was speaking only half an hour ago to Mr. Henry Baker, who's a member of your goose club. Oh, but them's not our geese. Indeed? Then whose are they? Oh, I got two dozen of them from a salesman in Covent Garden. I know some of those salesmen. Which one was it? Well, let me see now. His name was, uh, his name was, oh, yes, yes, Breckenridge. Breckenridge. Thank you, sir. Come, Watson. Yes, right you are. Wait, you, you haven't drunk up. You're... Your payments, Mr. Windigate. We've more urgent matters at hand. Not even time for a toast to the jolliest holiday of them all? No nonsense. Well, good night, Ebenezer Scrooge. Ill-advised humor is the eternal earmark of third-rate minds. Good night, sir. By Jove, Holmes, even old Windigate's caught the spirit of the day. I must say, Holmes, for you to regard this beautiful legend of St. Nicholas, and the one day we may all walk this earth with a, a carefree and childish heart, to regard it as sentimental rubbish, it's inexcusable, Holmes. To my mind, Watson, there's but one inexcusable act, the failure of the human mind to solve a problem, especially a problem in crime. And there's such a cab and race to Covent Garden Market. This salesman, this Breckenridge, he holds the solution to the riddle of the stolen jewel. 
<laughs> Don't hurry, Bill, my lad. Help me put up these shutters. Right now, Mr. Breckenridge. Uh, you hear those church bells, Bill, my lad? I do, Mr. Breckenridge. It's the sweetest music a man could ever hear. Church bells at Christmas time. You know what the bells are saying? What, Mr. Breckenridge? They're saying, you no business in the stall working this night. You, young Bill, belongs with the other youngsters round the tree. And me, Mr. Breckenridge, I should be standing at the punch bowl with me good wife and me dear friend. <laughs> so, up for the shutters, Bill, my lad. Good evening, Mr. Breckenridge. I am that, and a very happy evening it is, too, sir. An holiday evening. Yes, so it is. By George. Oh, Park, Watson. Uh, sold out of geese, I see. <laughs> I could let you have 500 tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning will not do. Surely you may find just one more. I was uh, recommended to you. By who? We were recommended by the landlord of the Alpha Inn. Oh, yes. I sent him a couple of dozen. Fine birds they were, too. Uh, where did you get them? Now, then, mister, what are you driving at? Let's have it straight now. It's straight enough. Well, we should like to know who sold you the geese which you supplied the Alpha Inn. Well, I can't tell you. It's a matter of no importance, but I don't understand why you should be so disturbed over such a trifle. Trifle, is it? You'd be angry if we were as pressed as I am. When I pay good money for a good article, that should be the end of the business. But it's where with the geese. And who did you sell the geese to? And, 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 and what do you take for the geese? Never in all my years at this stall have I heard such a fuss. Well, I have no connection with any other people who've been making inquiries. But I'm always ready to back my opinion on a matter of fowls. <laughs> Meaning just what? Meaning that I have a fiver on it that the bird I ate is country bread. Why do you say that, Hope? You've lost your fiver. It's tan bread. It's nothing of the kind. I say it is. And I don't believe it. You think you know more about fowls than I? You've handled them ever since I was a nipper. I'll have a sovereign on it with you. Just to teach you not to be obstinate. Bring me the book, young Bill. No, I fetch him. They're up on this shelf. Here's the big ledger. Fine, man, fine. Now then, Mr. Cocksure, if you step over here to the lamp... Very well. And look at me thumb, and I'll find the page. Eh, need some spectacles. There we are. Look at that third name. Just read it out to me. Mrs. Oakshot, 117 Brixton Road, Egg and Poultry Supplier. <laughs> read the last entry. December 22nd, 24 geese at 7 shillings and sixpence. Quite so. And what's it say underneath? Sold to Mr. Windigate of the Alpha at 12 shillings. <laughs> what are you going to say now? You owe him a sovereign, Holmes. And it is. You won, Mr. Breckenridge. You won. <laughs> so I did, Bill Millet. And you may have the sovereign seated at Christmas time. Oh, thank you, sir. Come, Watson. The air about this store becomes sickeningly sweet. I'm with you, Holmes. Well, evening, Mr. Breckenridge. And a Merry Christmas. A Merry Christmas thank to you, sir. Walk down the street a bit, you may want to confer privately about our next step. Oh, I should say it's Brixton Road, Holmes. This Mrs. Oakshot who raises the geese must know how the blue carbuncle came to be in the bird's crop. Undoubtedly. Now that I've duped Breckenridge by means of that wager into telling me the woman's name. It's the salesman, Breckenridge. Who's the little fellow he's arguing with? He wasn't at the stall before. You bring Mrs. Oakshot here and I'll answer her. What have you got to do with it? Did I buy the geese off you? No, but, but one of them is my own estate. Well, then, actually, this is Oakside for you. This may save us a visit to Brixton Road, Watson. Come, we'll see what's to be made of this fellow. I've had enough of this. Get out! He's chased the stranger away from his stall. Here he comes. You must stop him, Watson. One moment. Stop where you are. Who are you? What do you want? You'll excuse me, sir. I could not help overhearing your conversation with Mr. Breckenridge. I believe I may be of assistance. But who are you? How could you know anything about it? My name is Sherlock Holmes. It's my business to know what other people don't know. And I'm Dr. John Watson. You, sir, are endeavoring to trace some geese which were sold by Mrs. Oakshot to Mr. Breckenridge at the stall down the street. 
The geese were sold in turn to Mr. Windigate at the Alpha Inn and then to Mr. Henry Baker. Then you do know about... You can help me? Of course I can. Your name, sir? My name is... John Robinson. No, 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 the real name. It's always awkward doing business with an alias. Well, my, my real name is James Ryder. Precisely so. You are head attendant at the Hotel Cosmopolitan, where the Countess's precious jewelry disappeared. Please, Mr. Holmes. I, I suggest we discuss this case at my residence on Baker Street. This is more like it. Well, the fire's very cozy. Uh, Mr. Ryder, I've invited you here to Baker Street because you want to know what became of those geese. I want to know desperately, Mr. Holmes. You are concerned, Mr. Ryder, with one bird, white, with a black bar across the tail. You know about it? Can you tell me where it is? It came here. Here? Yes. And it laid an egg after it was dead. The prettiest, brightest blue egg. I have it here in my strong box. There it is. The Countess of Morcar's blue carbuncle. Oh, I, oh, I'd like to explain. I'll grab him, Watson. He seems faint. I'll, I'll help him into this chair. There we are. Not a very sturdy or convincing criminal, are you, Mr. Ryder? You've heard, of course, of this blue stone... It was Catherine Cusack who told me about it. Yes, I see. Her ladyship's maid. You knew this man Horner had a criminal record, that it'd be easy to point suspicion toward him. You and the lady's maid managed to have Horner the plumber sent for. After he left, you rifled the jewel case, raised the alarm, and had him arrested. Mr. Holmes, I never went wrong before. I never will again. Don't bring this into court. It's all very well to be contrite now, Mr. Ryder. You thought little enough of poor Horner in the dock for a crime of which he knew nothing. I'll leave the country, Mr. Holmes. The charge against him will break down. We still haven't had an account of how the precious stone got into the goose's cop, Holmes. Yes, Watson. Well, Mr. Ryder, you beg forgiveness, but you do not explain very much. Yes. Yes, I'll tell you. After I'd taken the stone, I knew there was no place about the hotel where it would be safe. I have a friend, Maudsley by name. He served time in Pentonville. He knows the ways of thieves and... I counted upon Maudsley to help me turn the stone into money. I ran to my sister's house, uh, Mrs. Oakshot on Brixton Road. Yes, I presume that while you're there, it occurred to you to hide the priceless gem in the crop of one of her geese, which were probably waddling in her backyard when you arrived. Just so, Mr. Holmes. She promised to give me one of the birds for the holidays, and I selected one, white, with a barred tail. I forced the jewel down its throat. Then my sister came out of the house. She told me to select a goose. Well, there was great numbers of them in the yard, and... I pointed to what I thought was the proper bird, white with a barred tail. I carried the goose to Maudsley. And when you opened its crop, you suddenly realized there was more than one goose that was white with a barred tail. I was frantic, Mr. Holmes. I discovered the goose had been sold to Breckenridge at Covent Garden. I ran to his stall. That's where you found it. Now I, I'm a branded thief. A miserable creature, Holmes. Oh, I yielded to a moment's temptation. Don't turn me into Scotland Yard. I'll do whatever you ask. I'll make amends somehow. You know, Holmes, if Ryder here doesn't appear in court, the case against Horner will collapse. That's fair enough, isn't it, Holmes? Send Ryder to jail now, and you may make him a jailbird for life. You may be commuting a felony, but you'll save this man's soul. 
Must you turn him over to the yard? Well, Holmes? What do you say, Mr. Holmes? What do you say? Get out, Mr. Ryder. What? No more words. Get out. Oh, God bless you, sir. God bless you. You... You've astonished me, Holmes. Well, Watson, it is the season of forgiveness, isn't it? Yes, of course it is, but... You know, I thought you'd quite forgotten that, Holmes. I thought you'd no use at all for Christmas. I thought Landlord Windigate was quite right in calling you Ebenezer Scrooge. Even old Scrooge had a change of heart, didn't he? Yes, so he did, Holmes, so he did. Well, shall we drink to it? Shall we drink to John Ryder, Landlord Windigate, Breckenridge the shopkeeper and Little Bill? To them? And with all my heart, to you, Holmes. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I join you in the toast, my dear Watson. A very Merry Christmas indeed. Well, Dr. Watson, the, the adventure of the Blue Carbuckle was a very charming and appropriate story. I imagine that next week, though, we return to the bloody, the grotesque, the great struggle between Holmes and the most brilliant criminals of his time. We do, Mr. Harris. Next week's adventure is entitled The Adventure of the Malicious Moor, which strangely resembles the story of Shakespeare's Othello. Well, that's a very attractive prospect, Dr. Watson. And, Doctor, as most of the friends of Sherlock Holmes know, an internationally famous society has been founded called the Baker Street Irregulars, a society of devotees to Holmes and to his adventures. And here in New York, there is a chapter known as the Diogenes Club. After the great Greek philosopher who searched the earth for an honest man carrying a legendary lantern. Now, each year, the Diogenes Club, whose members include many of the most distinguished personalities on the current American scene, makes special awards for outstanding achievements. On Wednesday, December 8th of this year, the very first recipient of this award, a Diogenes lantern, was President Harry S. Truman. The lantern was presented to our president by Mr. Elmer Davis, and by Mr. Christopher Morley. In presenting it, Elmer Davis said that President Truman received it for shedding light on the political situation when the experts were in the dark. Now, in the absence of Dr. Charles Goodman, president of the Diogenes Club, I have been delegated to announce the latest award of the Diogenes Lantern. Following the award to President Truman, the makers of Clippercraft clothes and all of us associated with the production of the adventures of Sherlock Holmes for radio are proud to announce the award of a Diogenes Lantern for his brilliant portrayal of Holmes on the air to the eminent actor who plays the role on this program, the first citizen to receive the award after President Truman, Mr. John Stanley. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Stanley. Thank you, Mr. Harris, for representing Dr. Goodman and his associates. It goes without saying that I am deeply honored to receive this second Diogenes Lantern and humble that I should be so singled out I may say that I'm doubly humble in my approach to the portrayal of the great detective, Sherlock Holmes. Again, thank you very much, and Happy New Year. The makers of Clippercraft clothes in more than 1,200 stores from coast to coast have brought you another in the new series of broadcasts featuring the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes.
Our stories are based upon the character Sherlock Holmes, created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and the program is produced and directed by Basil Lockman. Sherlock Holmes is played by John Stanley, Dr. Watson by George Spelden. This week's story was written by Howard Merrill with special music by Albert Berman. If you don't know your Clippercraft dealer, write Clippercraft, 200 Fifth Avenue, New York City. Remember, in 1949, beginning January 3rd, the makers of Clippercraft clothes will bring you the exciting adventures of Sherlock Holmes over most of these mutual stations on Monday night. Check your local newspaper and mutual station for the time. Now be sure to listen January 3rd. That's January 3rd to Sherlock Holmes in the adventure of the malicious Moore. speaking for Clippercraft Clothes and wishing all of you a happy new year. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.